name is Efren Pena. I am the campus pastor here. Uh, it is a pleasure and an honor to welcome you all to Southfields, Santa Clarita, where the coffee is always fresh. The donut holes are plenty, right? And uh, the people here are absolutely amazing, all right? And um, uh, we are one church of many campuses. Uh, we are one of 10, actually. Uh, we have 10 campuses throughout uh, California and uh, Puerto Rico and South Africa, and uh, it's exciting uh, to see our church grow. A uh, couple of quick things I want to jump in before uh, we jump into the, the message. If you see me hobbling around, it's not my hood walk, okay? <laughs> just just want to clarify that. That's not my crib walk. Actually, I have a, I have a huge, huge pain in my, the tendons in my right knee, and um, it, is, it, is, it is killing me. So, um, but so don't think I'm trying to like, you know, bring you back to the hood or anything like that. Um, uh, also want to remind you to sign up. Uh, Frankie gave you a couple of bits of information. If you would like to be a part of the, the, tr the trunk or treat and you want to put your car in, you can sign up at the connection booth back be doing with the kids. We're going to have them uh, build their own car. So they can sit there in the car watching their movie, and so it's really, really cool. And so come on out. We'll supply all of the all of the the decoration parts of it. You could just buy, bring a box. Now, if you want to, find, if you find a box big enough for you, get two, one for me and you, and we'll hook up our cars, right? Uh, but uh, you're more than welcome to come out and hang out with us. All righty. So this morning we're going to hit part two of our series, Family Month. And it's going to be absolutely incredible. And I hope that uh, you came ready to, to show off your, your pumpkin carving skills and decorating skills. Because uh, after service, we're going to head to the back and we got pumpkins and, and all types of decorations. So if you are gifted in the cutting and, and you like scooping all of that gooky stuff, we have the tools for that. If you just like drawing and, and doing, you know, you're, you're really good at painting. We got markers for that. Or if you're like me, you just like the stickers, put them right on it. We got that as well. So a great time for you to hang out uh, and decorate a pumpkin. And we have some delicious pies uh, that you can, uh, we have whipped cream, right? You know what I'm saying? Whipped cream. Mm. So you can hang out with us after service. Now, for those of you who missed uh, last week, you're probably wondering what this series is about, what will we be talking about? And we'll be talking about relationships, relationships, specifically what makes relationships work? Why do we seem to click with and feel cared for by certain people while others give us the impression that we're insignificant, that uh, we're invisible or that we are in the way? How is it that some families can hardly st uh, stomach one another but others seem so close. Is it all an act? Or do they know something that we don't? Right? Well, as it turns out, both scripture and science agree on the same answer. And the good news is that all research suggests certain practices have the power to turn a bad thing good and make a good thing even better. So what are these practices? Right? What, how do we apply them to our relationships? Well, we're going to talk about that today and some more over the next several weeks. I like to start off 
each message with a question. And uh, the, the question today is, have you ever had a time where you were trying to connect with someone and they were dismissive or aggressive to you in a way that it confused you, in a way that left you leaving that conversation like, wait, what just happened here? I thought we were, we were cool. I thought we, we kind of like, you know, we were, we were happy-go-jolly. I thought, you know, things were going well. Here's the thing. We all want to feel connected in our core relationships. We all want to feel connected to someone in our core relationships. Our core relationships are our loved ones, the people that we do life with on a daily basis, consistently doing life with. But we don't often come out and say that bluntly, right? We kind of like beat around the, the bush. We, we kind of like try to figure ways out. And that's called bidding, right? We bid to connect with people. We said that in, 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 in week number one. A bid is a request for connection, right? We bid in our relationships, right? We bid. Like, like you know, when my wife, uh, you know, when I want to connect with my wife, I play with her hair. She likes that. Right? I don't go, right? I just play with her hair because that's, that's my left arm in bed just going like this to her. Right? But I, I'm trying to express my love for her, express a, a connection with her. All right? Bids can look, all sorts, uh, look like all sorts of things, a question, a look, an invitation, a gesture, or a touch. Now, how close we feel to someone Right, how close we feel uh, to that person directly correlates to how they respond to our bids or connection over time. So if you're bidding to connect with someone and you, you get the stink face, like, back up, right? Th there's no connection there, right? And if she keeps or he keeps doing that, still no connection. All right, But the reality is that there are things that get in the way of us uh, making and receiving bids with people we genuinely love and want to feel connected to. You've been there. You've walked away from an interaction with, with someone and felt totally rejected. And they were oblivious to it. Right? Or maybe somebody told you that they really felt hurt by the way you treated them, right? And you weren't even aware that you hurt their feelings. How does this happen? As I mentioned last week, we all have certain behavior patterns that prevent us from connecting with others. Relational research shows us that there are six tendencies we all have for getting in the way we are partaking in that are destroying or are, 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 are putting our relationships in jeopardy. John Gottman calls them bid busters, right? Bid busters. This morning, I want to share with you what they are and how to avoid them so that you don't end up self-sabotaging your relationships, all right? So if you're taking down notes, right, there's a, a piece of paper there that for you to take down notes. Um, or you can draw. You can, you know, pretend like you're paying attention. But, you know, uh, you can take, just kidding, you can take pictures, right? Some of you are like, how dare he call me out like that, right? 
So if you're taking down notes, we're going to be talking about six things that destroy our ability to connect, also known as bid busters. Number one, being preoccupied. Being preoccupied. Paying more attention to anything but the person in front of you. Don't raise your hand, but there's a lot of people that fall into this category. All right? It's so hard to be fully present in our current culture. There's so many things competing. TV shows, the Yankees beating the Houston. Yeah. Yeah. All right? Oh, you Dodger fans are just bitter right now, right? <laughs> but the biggest obstacle is our own thoughts. The biggest obstacle in all of this that is, that is actually preoccupying our time and our energy and our attention is our own thoughts, our own feelings, our own insecurities, and our assumptions. It is tough to focus on them when we're so overly focused on ourselves. When all we're thinking about, what we're going to eat for lunch later? What am I gonna, what's going to happen in this week? You know, is, is how's the car going to get fixed? How is this going to happen? How is that? We're so focused on these things that we fail to be attentive in the relationships or in, with the person that's right in front of us. We are doing that. Not only do we do that to the people that we love, like our, our, our husband or our, our, our wife, but we do it to our kids. I, I'll be honest with you, I did it just yesterday. I was like, Noah, move. You're blocking the screen. Yankee's about to score. She's like, Dad, I want to show you something. Yes, at a commercial break. <laughs> the problem with that is that connection is about attention. Connection is about attention. And so if you are lacking in the attention area, if you're not giving your relationships attention, your relationships are going to struggle. I said last week I was going to give you biblical examples from the book of Esther, which is an ancient story from the Old Testament, to illustrate that these concepts that we're going to be talking about today have been playing out in human, uh, in human relationships forever. Okay? So just to recap from last week, the king he comes and he uh, bids for his wife to come and connect with him. And she doesn't respond well to that. Could it be possible that, that they were preoccupied, right? Yeah, he's drunk. He's at this big feast that he throws in. And so he's drunk. He's at this party. He wants to impress others, right? He wants to impress other people at this party. He's focused on his needs, and his desires, and not all clued in onto how she may feel at his bid. What I failed to mention last week is that after he was, or, or towards the end of his party, she had decided to throw her own party, right? And so the queen, she too was preoccupied. She threw a simultaneous party and is surrounded by friends, how dare he ask her to do something else while she's in the middle of entertaining others? So what do we do about that? What do we today, how can we address this issue? We need to set limits 
on screens, ask them how they're really feeling, set a regular time to check in, right? I could have said to Noah yesterday, hey, Noah, when this game is over, I'm all yours. Or figured different things. I could have paused it, right? But at that time, I was so intense in my game. Think about the relationships that you have, not just with your kids, but with your spouse. People that really matter to you, people that you actually love. Have you given them the time that they deserve or have you put them to the side and said, I'll get back to you? Number two, starting with negativity. Beginning an interaction by blaming or criticizing. That's a bid buster right there. Why do we do this? You see, we tend to be more aware of what's missing and what we don't like than what we already have and do like. But it's hard to recover from a bad start, right? It's hard to recover. If if you've ever been in a race and, and your first step in running has tripped or you fell, it is hard to, to catch up. Have you ever walked into a room and immediately felt like you were in trouble? Right? You walk into your house, guys, you come home, you go to your house, and everybody's like this. You'd be like, I'm in trouble. And you think, what? What just happened? What did I do? Should I come back later? Sometimes we don't mean it negatively. It just comes out that way. I know when my wife is upset. She just looks at me. She's just like, like she don't even blink. She's just like this. And I'm like trying to, hey, there, what's going on? And once she doesn't reply to that, that's, I'm in trouble, right? But here's the thing. How you say it is as important as what you say. Everybody been told that? It's not what you say. It's how you said it, your tone, your demeanor behind it. Esther 1 verse 11 says, this is the king um, speaking, and he says, to bring Queen Vashti to him with the royal crown on her head. He told his servants, go bring the queen to me with the royal crown on her head. He wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty, for she was a beautiful woman. Friends, there are better ways to start interactions with someone than making an aggressive demand. She flat out refuses with no tenderness or counter offer. Right off the way, she's like, no. Right? So what can we do about that? Well, we can start off positively, right? Instead of, we never go on vacation, right? Try, try. man, I was watching these travel channels the other day, and it just reminded, you know, man, we can have a great time. Why don't we, you know, try to carve out some time and go on vacation together, right? That's a, that's a different thing to say, we never go on vacation, right? It just, it's just a different demeanor, a different tone. Start with gratitude, Instead of saying, someone should have already thought about this, try, man, I'm really glad you're working on this, that that we're working on this together. This is going to be great. Do you see what's happening here? Start with I and not you. 
Instead of, you should have called. Try, man, I, I was worried about you. Right? I was worried. I was concerned, man. I was just, just trying to see where you were, see how things were going. Another thing you can do is don't stockpile complaints. Well, some of us like to put them in the file box and open that file box nice and slow. Instead of, I've been mad for a long time, here's my list of, of, of grievances, right? Try, what just happened bothered me. Can we talk about it so I don't have to bring this back up later? Can we just address it now? Another thing we can do is we can double back. If you get off on the wrong foot, circle back, apologize, and start over. Thinking back, I feel bad about that conversation that we had yesterday. I don't feel like I handled it as well as I, I could have handled it, but I wanted to say, I'm sorry. Some of us just have a difficult time saying, I'm sorry. It's like, it's like, that's like, it's not in your vocabulary. So it's like, you'll say everything else, but I'm sorry. And I think that we need to, we need to get a grip on this. Try to build a better relationship. So let's go back to our, not the problem. How many of you have ever felt like that? that you were being attacked instead of the problem. Criticizing someone's character instead of complaining about specific behaviors. It's, it's a you are versus a you did. When we're criticizing, we use language like always and never. Anybody use always and never? You never do this. You always do that. You need to eliminate those words and add I'm sorry. Right? Complaints can be helpful but criticisms are harmful and hurtful, which is part of the reason why we use them. We don't always want to make the situation better. We want to make the other, the other person feel as bad as we do. Am I saying the truth or am I just making these things up? And often we rather make things even than make things right. That, my friends is a problem. That will take your relationship from here to here in a heartbeat. Once we shift into criticism, we shut the conversation down. People don't communicate well and they're defensive when they feel their character is being attacked. When you feel that someone is just trying to nail you to the cross for not doing something or forgetting to do something, things can get ugly. Esther, verse 15 says, what must be done? This is the, the, queen, or the king asking, what must be done to the queen? The king demanded. What penalty does the law provide for a queen who refuses to obey the king's orders properly sent through his Enoch's? In the king's mind, it's all her fault. It's not the context. It's not that there's been a party going on for multiple days and, and, and that he's pretty drunk, right? And that they live in a sexist environment. It's that she is a horrible person, right? 
She's the one at fault of her, of, in this relationship. She needs to go. So what can we do about that? Your way of seeing things is not the only way of seeing things. I see ladies bowing, bowing their heads. Yeah, okay. Ask for what you want as opposed to accusing them for what they didn't do. I tell my wife all the time, I cannot, we've been married a long time, but I can't assume what you're thinking, right? You need to tell me what you would like for me to do and without a tone. You laugh because you know it's true. Nobody else lives inside of their head but them. They don't see the world the way you see it, right? And they cannot read your thoughts. Operating as if this were true will really help your relationships. Once you understand that the other person in your relationship, right, the other person that you're trying to bid for connection, trying to do life with, does not think the way you think, cannot read your mind, right? It's not like you have this little thing on your forehead that says, hey, I want you to go to the movies today. Hey, I need you to clean up your room. Hey, I need you to cook today. Take out. I get in trouble for not taking out the meat in the morning. Am I supposed to know? I'll do it when you tell me to do it. Number four, emotional exhaustion. Feeling so drained and overwhelmed, you cannot, you can no longer think clearly. Everybody been there? So many things going on in your world, so many things that you're doing, so many things happening that you are drained and overwhelmed. The clinical term for this is called flooding. Flooding. It can happen to anybody, but studies show that it happens to men more than women. Okay? Different people have different thresholds and are triggered by different things in different ways. Just because that thing you wouldn't, uh, that wouldn't make you emotional, right, doesn't mean it shouldn't make others emotional. Esther 12 and 13 says, but when they conveyed the king's order to Queen Vasti, she refused to come. This made the king furious, and he burned with anger. He immediately consulted with his wise advisors who knew all the Persian laws and customs, for he always asked for their advice. Okay? So he's under a lot of social pressure. A lot of eyes are on him. His ego is bruised. He's angry. He's frustrated and feels rejected. He's clearly flooded, which is the absolute worst time to make a big decision in his relationship, make a big decision for his family, make a big decision for or pass a law for his country. And I want to tell you this morning, when you are flooded, that is the absolute worst time for you to make major decisions. It is. So what can we do about it? Call a timeout. Take a break. Allow your mind and your, and your emotions to reset. Studies show that it takes roughly about 20 minutes for the effects of emotional stress 
to subside and the blood to rush back to your brain. So if you're feeling flooded, you're going back and forth, right, in a dispute or in an argument, back and forth with your, your, with your kids, with your spouse, your in-laws, whoever that may be, and you are feeling flooded, you need to walk away. Walk away and allow yourself to de-stress. Again, 20 minutes before you make decisions. How many of you said something in the heat of the moment and it was probably the, one of the worst things you've ever said? Yeah. Number five, fixating on the faults of others, insisting the only solution is for them to change. That's a bid buster right there. This is problematic because the only person you have the power to change is yourself. You can't change someone else. Fixating on others is a way to avoid taking accountability for yourself. It also prevents us from having a balanced perspective. Nothing happens in a vacuum. Playing the blame game discounts context, circumstances, personalities, and culture. But we think it's not that, that I'm irritable. They're the ones that are irritable. I don't have a problem. She has a problem. He has a problem. You see, when we fixate on other people's faults, after a while, all we can see when we look at them is that they're at fault. It's their problem, which is damaging to the relationship. When in reality, 85% of who they are Maybe stuff you love, but you're only seeing the 15% that's frustrating you. And in relationships, that becomes the entire story, the 15% that you're choosing to see at that moment. Statistically, when people's faults are consistently highlighted, they make even more mistakes. But when their successes are praised, they tend to have more success. And in times of stress, we seek out encouragers, not fixers. In your relationships, we are always looking for encouragers, not people to fix it. So the real question is, what kind of relationship do you want with your kids? What kind of relationship do you want with your spouse? Verse 15 says, what must be done to the queen, right? And then in verse 17, it says, women everywhere will begin to despise their husbands when they learn that Queen Vasti has refused to appear before the king. So now the decision process is starting to unfold. It's her fault. She's the problem. She's the one that needs to be fixed. She's the one that needs to change. Have you done anything that could have possibly contributed to this situation? Absolutely not. It's her fault. So what can we do about that, friends? Well, we can start by assuming that there's more to going on, uh, more, more going on than what you just see on the surface. 
be generous and give encouragement. Take accountability for your part, for the damage that you've caused. And lastly, number six, avoiding the conversation you need to have, hoping ignoring it will make you go away. How many of you? Yeah. A lot of us be like, yeah, 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 yeah. And you walk away, go to work, and hopefully it was just, it was just, it was nothing, right? There's a lot of consistent turmoil, right? It's usually because something underneath is not being addressed. You don't bring it up because you don't want to stir up the pot and hurt their feelings. But their feelings are already hurt, friends. They just don't know why. So you got to sit down and talk about it. You just can't ignore it. You just can't sweep it under the rug. You got to get to the bottom of the problem. You got to figure out what is the problem in your relationship. Why is there, why is there an issue? Why aren't you talking? Why aren't you feeling the way you used to feel, right? Listen, feelings aren't facts. They can be valid without being true. I'll let you sit on that for a second. Feelings aren't facts. They can be valid without being true. You can discuss them without acting on them. I'm so upset. I feel like yelling at you. But you don't actually have to yell. Right? I remember my mom. <laughs> my mom was a Puerto Rican mom, single mom. Can I tell you how many, mom, how many times my mom threatened to hit me with something? She goes, oh, I'm so angry I can hit you with the frying pan. You laugh, but I got hit with the frying pan. That's the point of what I'm trying to say. She didn't have to, but she did. Church, be honest about your feelings. It won't solve all of your problems but it does something better. It creates an opportunity for the real you to connect with the real dumb. Don't pretend like there isn't an issue in your relationship. Don't pretend like everything is perfect when it's not. Talk about it. Discuss it. Work at building healthy relationships. We said that last week. It's going to require work. James says, be quick to what? Listen. Be quick to listen, slow to what? Speak and slow to get angry. Most arguments spring from misunderstandings and feelings of separation that could have been avoided if people would have had the conversations they needed to have. Esther 20 and verse 20 and 22 says, when this decree uh, is published throughout the king's vast empire. He's talking about how um, uh, what he just said about in verse 17 about the women, right? Where it says, um, women everywhere will begin to despise their husbands when they learn that Queen Vasti has refused to appear before the king. So they made a decision to pass a law, okay? So when this decree is published throughout the king's vast empire, husbands everywhere, whatever their rank, will receive proper respect from their wives. The king and his nobles thought this made good sense. So he followed uh, Memekin's counsel. 
He sent letters to all parts of the empire, to each province in its own script and language, proclaiming that every man should be the ruler of his own home and should say whatever he pleases. Well, isn't that special? He passes a law to avoid telling his wife she hurt his feelings. Think about that. He never talks to her about it whatsoever. He talks to his drunk homies first. He talks to his buddies who is just as drunk as he is. All right? And then sends letters to the empire expressing his side of the story. Man, I wish the Bible applied to today's world. He's getting advice from an Enoch. The guy who's clearly not in a relationship. Wait, wait, you don't know what an Enoch is. Eunuch. You don't know what that is. He's castrated. Eunuch is someone who's castrated. And he's getting advice on relationships. From him, the guy who never had a successful romance. Yeah, you seem to have some good ideas. Come on over here. Share them with me. Let me address this. How can we fix this? In difficult moments, ask the question, is there anything we're not telling each other? In your relationships, Ask that question. Is there anything that needs to be brought to the table? Make it safe for the other person to honestly answer that question. Breathe together. Express your feelings together and comfort one another. I'll emphasize that this is only helpful if both parties are willing to work on the relationship. If only one person is willing to be open and honest and safe. Well, the truth is that's a, that's a toxic, one-sided relationship that's going to continue to be, uh, that's going to continue to struggle and be difficult. So let me wrap up this morning's talk. These six bid busters I believe that everyone in here has fallen into that trap. Maybe one or two of them, three or four, maybe all six of them when it comes to handling your relationships and your bid for connecting. You see, these aren't just good ideas from a psychologist that have been verified through, through, throughout history. In the end... The truth is we want to avoid these things because of something one of the early church leaders encourages us to do when applying the word of Jesus in our lives. It says in Philippians 2 verse 4, don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So maybe you're thinking, man, pastor, I do a lot of these bid busters. I'm guilty of them. I'm guilty of them in my relationship with my spouse. 
I'm guilty of them in my relationship with my kids, and my, with my in-laws, my grandparents, my mom and dad, with my coworkers, my boss, my neighbors. But here's the thing. I think a lot of us are guilty of this. And it's not the end for your relationship. I said it last week and I'll say it again. Your marriage, your romantic relationship is not doomed because you've fallen to these six bid busters. There's still time to change. There's still time to correct it. Your relationship with your kids is not damaged for eternity. There's still time to work at it. You can learn to respond better. And God wants to help you through this process. As I said earlier at the end of our worship, some some of us have reached the end of the line. We feel like we don't have nothing more to give. We've done everything that we know how to do. We've done everything that, that we can do in our relationship. It still matters to you because you still love that person. You still want to figure things out, but you don't know what else to do. And God says, man, I want to help you through this process. But you got to take heed to the words I share with you. You got to take, you got to take ownership of what the damage you've done, and you've got to do things, take the necessary steps to build up that relationship. So before you leave here this morning, I want you to grab a hold of this. Because this is so important as I wrap up this message. Having to apologize, having to make adjustments, having to patch up things in your relationship is not a sign of a, of a bad fit, right? It's a sign that people value one another and are willing to work through the rough spots in order to stick together and become better. There's not a person in here that has not argued with someone in their relationship. There's not a person in here that has not gotten angry at their kids. There's not a person in here that sometimes wants to choke somebody because that relationship is not working. But I want to encourage you this morning that healthy relationships are possible. They don't happen automatically. I said this last week. You can't wink it. You can't wiggle your nose. You can't buy it. You got to work at it. You got to recognize the things that are causing your relationships to fall apart. You got to recognize these six bid busters and say, you know what? I need to do better. That's on me. You can't go around pointing fingers at your spouse. You can't go around pointing fingers at your kids. You got to make the change. 
you got to desire better for your relationships because healthy relationships are possible. But you got to work at it. We can sit here, we could, we could have hours of discussions on why healthy, healthy relationships are not possible. You can give me all the excuses in the world. I just can't believe it. Because in order to have healthy relationships, you're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to put things in its proper place in order. How important is or how important are your relationships? How important it is to cut out some time to talk to your spouse and just share your day instead of talking about, again, the bills. How important it is to, to hear what your spouse or your significant other has to say about what's hurting them, the things that you're doing that's hurting them. How important is it to spend some time with your kids instead of sending them with somebody else's parents to have fun? See, those are the, those are the tough questions. Those are the things that, that make us uncomfortable. But deep down inside, we want healthy relationships. As parents, we want to do right by our kids. And here's the thing. Your kids will grow up and they're going to parent like you parent. And for some of us, that's scary. Why? Because our parenting skills need some work. I'll be honest with you. My first daughter came when I was 21, 22. I didn't have a clue. I wanted to put it back. I was like, I don't know how this is going to work. This is not in the plans. And so you parented how you were parented. And that doesn't, that doesn't, for some people, that's great. That's awesome. Your parents were great. That's awesome. But for others, that may not be so awesome. So you got to be a better parent. You got to make better decisions today so that your kids can take what you've invested in them and be better parents to their kids. Here's another thing. I'm a father of four girls, ages 23 to 9. And how I treat my wife, with my wife, will represent what my daughters will and will not allow in their relationships in the future. Friends, we have to do better. We have to strive for healthy relationships. It's that important. The legacy that you will leave for the future, 
depends on what you do today in your relationships. I think it's time to kick the bid busters to the curb and do differently. Amen.